0: starting at verse 29, the Lord is upon the cross. It says, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true." And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. It was the 19th century philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, who said he made the observation, looking at society, and even in his own heart, that God is dead. A later quote, as he continued looking into the existence of God, after determining that God was dead, he saw how God moved and the value of God in a society, although he still did not believe, but he said, I knelt at the grave of God and cried. Now, someone reading tonight's section of Scripture could come to the conclusion, if Jesus was God, then God has been killed. And then if God is killed, then we have no hope that same person could look at today in the state of our society today and as we see the things that are going on in the news and seems like every week it's some other some new person that is opening fire and 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 or uh, driving a car into a, a crowd or whatever and just these horrible things that continue to happen and again this same person could fall on his knees and weep at, weep at the grave of god and 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 think wow the, these people these people that are so far and where is God in in all of this and well really the grave of God that they would be kneeling before would be the hearts of those who have rejected the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ it's only through the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ that anything within our society really makes sense I did a funeral today I didn't know the person it was out in Menifee I I drove out there and it was uh A relative of a friend of mine and um, went out there to do the funeral and I I like to tell the church of this so that you understand that this isn't me this is our church and having this opportunity to minister this young lady who was somewhere between 25 and 35 died very unexpectedly in a car accident she left behind three children and it was just very tragic and as I pulled up there I 'm looking, and, and I, there was quite a few people there, a lot more than I even had thought were going to be there, and the majority of them were about that age. and I 'm thinking, well, I wonder, I hope, that they received from an old guy, and it was just neat to be able to stand up there and to share the gospel and have their because you can tell when you have people 's attention and you don't, and today we had their attention. And and they got the reality of of the gospel because all of them are standing there and they're trying to make sense of of what happened there. And and really, in essence, they're kneeling at the grave of their friend and and trying to understand how could something like this happen and her kids are right there and her mother is there and father and, and it's just a tragic thing. And we have the opportunity to enter in to give them that hope because although jesus did die there's no doubt about it he didn't stay dead and that he is alive and he continues to move in the hearts of men and women even today and so man's situation and i was looking at that at that crowd and seeing the situation of man and we see this every day you see it as well And we see man as he tries to make sense of things. James Montgomery Boyce, he's a commentator, he points out that there's four basic ways to look at the situation of man. He uses kind of this silly illustration, but it makes very deep spiritual sense. He's looking at this first man, and he says this first man stands at the edge of a cliff, at the threshold of death, but he stands at the edge of this cliff, and he believes that he's going to fall upwards, He's got to walk over the cliff, but he believes instead of falling over and falling down, he's going to fall up. And, and man has that mindset that he started out as some kind of cosmic mistake of nature, and he continues to get better every day. And, and society is going to get better, and mankind is going to get better. Racial relations are going to get better, and, and, and just just humanity in general. But we look, are things getting better things seem to be getting worse thinking what we can do away with diseases well there seems to be new diseases every year rather than doing away with the ones that we've dealt with in the past and again things are not getting better through evolution they believe and given enough time will reach perfection but the evolution of man is his regression away from biblical morals to such a degree that the foundation of his societies are decaying and the building of life is about to come tumbling down things definitely aren't going any better just as surely as it's silly to think you're going to fall up it's just as silly to think that things will just naturally get better then there's a second man the second man has fallen over the cliff but he's caught on the edge and he's trying to pull himself back up this is man's attempt to save himself through his own strength or his own intellect he believes that he's able to do the work Well, you can look at this, and this is man and his attempts in religion, or maybe complete opposite of that, drugs, science, philosophy, just whatever the human intellect will deliver. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. There's a lot of good ideas that mankind has, a lot of ways that man tries to make sense and, and tries to even bring himself to a good conclusion, but the Bible says... All of man's ideas apart from God's idea is going to bring you to the point of death. And you see this man as he's hanging at that cliff. The hand of God is there, but he refuses to grasp on. The third man, the third man fell halfway over but got caught on a branch and will one day get back up because God is love and God will feel sorry for us. This is cute puppy theology thinking that well just simply because of who I have made God to be that God my God my God would never judge anybody my God would never allow anybody to fall over the cliff and sooner or later all of humanity would be saved we're generally all good people and God just simply will not be able to resist and then there's the fourth man he fell over the cliff and he went splat at the bottom And unfortunately, that's reality apart from Jesus Christ. It's appointed for man to die once and then judgment, and judgment certainly is going to come. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, he he had examining in the previous chapter in chapter 2, and he's spoken of ways of man might be right before God as far as keeping the law and being as good as God all the time. But then in Romans chapter 3, he shows the impossibility of that. Now, you can be saved apart from Christ if you were as good as Christ all of your life, but the problem of it is that's just simply impossible. And so really what Paul has done in Romans, he's kind of laid all of mankind into the casket. And then in chapter 3, he hammers the lid shut. He he says in, in verse 10 of chapter 3, "...as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks or searches after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, who continuously does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips." whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we all know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that the mouth, that every mouth, may be stopped. That means nobody will be able to give any excuse, and all the world may become guilty before God. And skipping down to verse 23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So man has a problem that only God is going to be able to rectify. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is writing about here. I'm sorry, the Apostle John, back in John. The Apostle John, he looks at the cross and he makes a definite observation. Jesus is physically dead it's essential that Christ did die upon the cross. Why is it so essential? Well, we have to know that Jesus took his sins upon himself. And the way we know that Jesus took our sins upon himself is because he died. If he didn't die, then he didn't take our sins upon himself. And so We need to understand this so we see the totality of what God is accomplishing upon the cross. And so Jesus took sin upon him, so he had to die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 the wages of sin are death. And the wages of your sin were death for the Lord Jesus Christ, or it's death for you. And that's the choice that all of mankind make. Since I've been able to put my sins upon Christ, and he took them upon himself he died. It showed that he took my sins upon him, and he paid the price for that sin. Now, I can take my sins upon myself, but I will perish in my sins. So, either way, the choice is set before all of humanity. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And so, he's presenting this fact that Jesus Christ died and in verses 31 through 37 he's going to qualify he's going to get proof of the death and he's going to show us the reality of the death so that we may believe again verse 31 therefore because it was the preparation days preparation for passover that the body should not remain on the cross on the sabbath for the sabbath was a high day the jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the others who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. Death on the cross would take quite some time. It was meant to be slow and painful. It was a form of torture. Again, that's why the charges would be nailed upon the cross. And the idea was, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. But now, with Jesus, the Jews, they've got a problem. See, Jesus pointed out a massive contradiction in these religious leaders' lives. We see it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 24, when he called them blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What's a gnat? Well, other than a little bug, it's the smallest of unclean things. A camel. A camel in that society would be the largest of unclean things. And so all through the process of the Lord's crucifixion, they were meticulous about keeping the little gnats. Remember, they wouldn't enter into Pilate's presence because they didn't want to be rendered unclean for the Passover. So, I mean, just think of that. They, they didn't want to go into the presence of a Pilate, so they would not be rendered unclean, but they're willing to murder a man. So they're straining out a gnat, they're doing the the little things, the things that, well, display their self-righteousness, but they're willing to swallow a camel, they're willing to murder a man. Their camel is the killing of an innocent man, even the Messiah. Man today, he keeps his gnats, he strains his gnats, maybe I should say. He does so in religion, he'll come to church, maybe he'll read his Bible or pray every once in a while, but he swallows the camel at the point of becoming born again to do all the superficial things but when it comes to truly entering into a relationship with Christ so often he stumbles at that point see religious scruples they live in a heart that is dead to God religious scruples live in a heart that is dead to God and what I mean by that is that religious scruples to display self-righteousness it usually is occurring in somebody who doesn't have that relationship with the Lord. Because when you have that relationship with the Lord, you realize the freedom that you have in Christ. And no longer do you want to take that upon you through legalism, but you don't want to dump it upon anybody else. But when you have experienced the freedom of being born again, you see all of those little gnats, they they dissipate. And I've done the main thing. I've made the main thing the main thing in my relationship with Jesus Christ in submitting my life to him. And I've got these freedoms and I have these liberties now in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we had to keep the law, well, again, Paul just said, nobody can keep the law. And since nobody could keep the law, then all would be guilty. Nobody would be able to have an excuse. And so their concern now is twofold as Jesus is upon that cross. It's after three o'clock in the afternoon and darkness is coming. Now, in Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, it says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. And so when does the day end? Well, for us, you'd probably be of the mindset that it ends at midnight, but for the Jews, it ended at six o'clock. It ended at around sundown. And so he had to not only die before sundown, you only have a three-hour window here, but he also had to be removed from the cross if they're going to keep their self righteous Um, attitude to be able to display their self-righteousness and so if jesus is still alive after 6 p.m then they violated the sabbath by executing a man on that day so keep in mind so at six o'clock the sabbath starts and you're not to execute somebody on the sabbath day so although he was hung on the cross the day before if he dies afterwards in their mind he was executed then Again, verse 33, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. An essential that John points out here is he wants to prove that Christ died. And now what we have here is, is him doing it from a Jewish perspective and he's doing it from a Gentile or a Roman perspective. He's wanting people to, who, who read his gospel to understand who Christ is. Remember when we first started the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5? John was stating his thesis. This is who Jesus Christ is. And in the remainder of the Gospel, he's going about and proving who Christ is. Well, a big part of who Christ is, obviously, is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God knew that who Jesus is would, de- be, would be debated throughout the ages. It's still debated today. a matter of fact, that's the tipping point as far as those who are of the truth and those who are of a cult. And when you're confronted with a cult, the way you know that somebody is representing a cult is who they determine Jesus Christ to be. It's when we study the scriptures, we learn of who Jesus Christ is so that we would be strong in Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he went to Athens, he ministered to people, but he left there, and, and he, and he went, to, uh, went to Corinth, and he had been in, engulfed in, in Athens, and the, the idolatry that was there. Not that he was participating, he wasn't, but the way he ministered to them. When he went into Corinth, he realized, I just got to present Jesus Christ. And what did he say? I come to you preaching nothing other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. I go to a funeral And the only thing that I have to offer those people who are looking for something to grasp onto is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because the crucifixion of Christ is that which makes all other deaths, well, it makes sense of all other deaths. To understand that that's a passage to be absent from the body, but to be present with the Lord. And the way that this has happened, the reason that we have these proofs is because of the gospel of John that he showed us, that, or he made the statement that Jesus Christ is God, but then he's gone through point after point after point in order to, well, to show us this to the degree, not only that we would know, but we would believe within our heart the reality of this. So every one of the Old Testament scriptures every one of the old testament scriptures must be fulfilled and even if one is not fulfilled then jesus is not who he said he was so look at verse 36 it says for these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled not one of his bones should be broken so the romans go out there and they're going to break bones that that's their whole mindset We're going to break the bones. We've been ordered to break the bones, the leg bones of these men so that they collapse on the cross and they suffocate to death. Now, these are men of war. They're men who have done this before. They know when they see a dead body. And so they come up to these three crosses. And there's the two thieves. And they looked at these two thieves. They were alive, so they took a big mallet and they broke their bones. They broke their legs. And then they come to Christ. Well, it was obvious to them that this one... This one is dead. And so, to fulfill scripture, not one of his bones could be broken. We see this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, in the instruction in the Passover lamb. It says, In one house it shall be eaten, the Passover lamb. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. In Psalm 34, verse 20, He guards all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. So, Not one of the Lord Jesus Christ's bones could be broken because he needed to fulfill scripture. This is proof to us who it was upon the cross. Those who weren't prophesied in the scriptures, the two thieves, they had their bones broken. Romans could care less. If he was alive, they were going to break his bones. Verse 37, and again, another scripture says, they shall look on him who they pierced. We see this in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, this is God speaking, they will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And so, John is writing these things because, well, he was an eyewitness, and that was important. Spoke of the miracles, definitely a, a strong point. But Jesus also had to fulfill Scripture. And throughout the gospel, he's constantly, him being a Jew and well versed in the Old Testament, he's constantly showing us how Jesus Christ fulfilled Scriptures. Later on, in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Don't you wonder what the many other signs were? And you kind of wonder, well, how come if there was so many other? How come they're not included? Why they're not included is is because they're not necessary to prove John's point. And as Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name and so two things he's writing the things that are pertinent so that we would understand that jesus christ is the prophesy, prophesied messiah the one who is spoken of in the old testament but also who truly that messiah is because if you remember what were the jews looking for they were looking for a man who was going to restore the kingdom back to the glory of king david's day but that's not who Jesus was, and that wasn't what his purpose was. He was the Son of God, and so John's purpose is to show that Jesus Christ is Messiah, and that that Messiah is the Son of God, and the Son of God would have the essence and the nature of God. He would be free of sin, and so there's nowhere that we see that Jesus sinned, but also we would see the deity of him, and we can see that in the Um, in the elements of truly who god is that jesus would be omnipresent he would be all-knowing some of those things he set aside during his time here on earth but as far as who he is now or having those attributes of god now he is fully god and as he is fully man Now, notice the importance that John places on what happened here, going over to verse 35, backing up to verse 35. He who sees has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. Now, John's being very emphatic why he is telling us these things. Now, we know that this is john nowhere in the gospel of john does john refer to himself by name he refers to himself as he who has seen or the one that jesus loved but what he's alluding to here what he's expressing the truthful here is in verse 34 when one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out now he's wanting us to know okay his legs weren't broken that's included in this but also the piercing and he seems to be focusing upon the piercing the context here tells us that that's the focal point so to understand really what happened here as far as in the piercing that we need to see what is the symbolism of both the blood and the water in first corinthians fifteen three through four it says for I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so there's Jesus upon the cross. I don't know why, know why, because it was the will of the Father that his side would be pierced. I don't know what that soldier was thinking at that point. I think he they believed he was dead, and, and they just wanted to make sure. And so he just stuck him he stuck him more than likely in the lower abdomen with his with his spear and really what happens when a person dies the body fluids they gather at the lowest point point. and so you have your body more than likely wouldn't go into the legs because you have your body cavity here and the fluids would go down to the lowest point so if he would stick somebody right there he'd break open the body cavity and these fluids would come out Now, there is the possibility that Jesus' heart did burst, your heart. Jerry was telling me about this, you know, who just had the triple bypass. You have your heart, and there is a sack around the heart, and there is fluid in that sack. And maybe you've heard that from others before, that the Lord's heart probably burst and did it. I don't have a clue. But some subscribe to this in order to point out that the Lord died of a broken heart. Well, that's warm and fuzzy theology because the Lord did not break or die of a broken heart. The Lord may have died in his sack around his heart, may have burst, but he did not die of a broken heart. And it's important for us to understand what was going on here. This is victory. This is God achieving victory over sins. This is not God in despair. God already knows the heart of mankind he already knows those who reject him. I mean, does it sadden the Lord? Yeah, but God understands the magnitude of the victory that's being accomplished here. And I would imagine if John, the apostle John was here and we brought up, well, you know what? I think he died of a broken heart here. He would say, you missed the whole point. You missed the whole point of what occurred upon the cross. The cross was never defeat. It was never doom and gloom. It was victory of God over sin and all of humanity needs to rejoice at this point. In Revelation 5.5 it says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed or has conquered to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And we know that this point of prevailing is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't get sent to death. He didn't fall into death. He didn't back into death. He stormed into death. And once again, what I was just talking about, it's important to understand that the wages of sin is death. Sin has been placed upon Christ. And since sin has been placed upon Christ, he must die. But the thing about it is there's got to be something that separates him from all other deaths that have previously occurred. And so you could Make, well you know if you had a skeptic you could say well i could believe that anybody in history had my sins placed upon him and died well but he conquered death and the way we know that he conquered death was because he rise he rose from the dead and and, and that's where we rejoice because then you work backwards then okay as he's defeated death what that tells me this is a visual illustration the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that showed me that since he defeated death he also conquered sin and as he conquered sin they weren't his sins he conquered my sins because I had the sentence of death upon me and let's just say Jesus was standing next to me and he says I'll take your sin upon me and you won't have to die and so I put my sin upon him he dies I get to live, but he dies. But how do I know I get to live? How do I know the truthfulness? He died and put sin upon him, but you know, so many people have had sin upon him, and, and they've died, but then he comes to life. And think of the confidence that we're able to have from that. As our sins have been placed upon Christ, and he came back to life, there's the truth and the reality of that. And so ought we not to have this great hope that burns within sight of us? that we understand the magnitude of our salvation we understand the reality of our salvation and if that's the case ought that not to motivate us in the work of ministry and what I mean by the work of ministry is this being used in the life of the salvation of other people and again I was standing there (laughs) it was it was almost hilarious the spiritual attack as I'm doing this funeral today I'm there and I'm preaching the gospel, and I remember looking up, as I said before, I'm looking up at the eyes of these people, and I'm thinking, they're into this, because as a speaker, you can tell. I I know when you guys fall asleep. I know when you guys check out. I know when you start counting the lights up in the ceiling or whatever. You can tell. As a speaker, you can tell, And, and so when I'm up there, I'm thinking, I've got these people's attention. I remember specifically thinking that, and I remember thinking of the responsibility I've got to give them the gospel message, and then the wind comes up and there's a pitcher behind me that falls on top of me, hits me and falls on the ground. And so I, 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 I don't want to lose people. So I pick it up and set it there and I start talking. The wind co- and it hits it again and it falls on me again. And I'm thinking this is spiritual attack. And so I just kind of laid it on the ground. I go back and I'm speaking and in front of me is a table and there's a vase with roses in it. And this time the wind blows from a different direction and it blows towards me and it knocks the vase over and i'm watching it and it 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 fell and the flowers fell out of it and the vase spun around and it landed you know i'm thinking it's going to smash all over the place but it landed right on the vase and you might think that's a good thing but when you do that the water goes flying out of the top of it and guess who it lands on (laughs) it was warm i was thinking i could use a shower but that's not what i had in mind but really what i see is i see the reality of spiritual warfare I see the reality of trying, and it was around that time when I'm thinking I got their attention, it's as if somebody was trying to take their attention away. And so we need to see the truth in all of these things. We need to see what what Christ truly did, that just to say that he died upon the cross, you're responsible as a born-again believer to understand the intricacies of that, the details of that. Yeah, of course he died on the cross because he took sin upon him, and anybody who takes sin upon themselves is going to die. And so many people have done that in the past. What difference does it make? How do I know he's special? Well, because he came back to life. And as he came back to life, and as I know he didn't sin, and he took my sin upon me, I understand the reality that he achieved victory over death. But what that really tells me is he achieved victory over sin. And what that tells me is he achieved victory over the sins of Mike. And so when the son set me free, I'm free indeed. Not works by works of righteousness, which I have done, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How deep do you want to study the word of God? How deep do you want to study? As deep as you want to go, it'll lead you there. It'll lead you into the deeper things of the Lord. What are the deeper things of the Lord? So many people get caught up in prophecy and, and really a lot of things that you can't even prove and, you know, the codes within the... That's not the deeper thing. Some of that stuff is silly things of the word not of the word, but of men's imaginations. The deeper things of the Lord is have this deep understanding of what Christ has done in your life through his atoning death upon the, the cross. Now, Jesus, he didn't have a broken heart. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He went to the cross because he knew what was going to occur upon the cross the second reason of the importance of verse 34 again but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out the the second reason of the importance of this is so that we would know the death was carried out under orders of the father and not under orders of man remember these roman soldiers were carrying out orders not to kill wasn't their tent so much to kill didn't say go out there and kill them but go out there and break their legs. And again, they broke the other two's legs, but God's orders were, don't break the legs. We see that again in the scriptures that I had read there earlier. God's orders were to pierce the side and exactly what they did. They didn't hear from God and say, yes, sir, but God's hand is in this so that we would know and that we would understand. And then the third reason of the importance of the blood and the water, well, there is scriptural purpose for both. Blood blood cleanses. Not the blood of man, but the blood of God. It cleanses, and God would lead us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the blood of the Lamb, through the Lamb of the sacrifice. On Leviticus seventeen eleven. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul." And so it was necessary for the blood to be spilled, but also water, because water purifies that which is unclean. In Numbers chapter 19, 19, it says, "...the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day of the seventh day, and the seventh day he shall purify himself." Wash his clothes and bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean. And so you've got this standard that was set very early in the scriptures because all of these things are pointing towards the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we made clean? How How is our sins washed away? Through the water, the word of God that was sealed by the blood of Christ that flowed upon that cross. And so, we've got this rich picture. Now, many times in the scriptures, it's kind of a hermeneutical concept. When something is mentioned for the very first time, it sets the standard throughout the Bible. Well, the first mention of blood in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It says, and the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The blood of man cries out that man is a sinner and that man is an unclean thing. Our blood, our blood could never wash anything away. Why? You cannot climb up upon that cross. You never could. No man could ever climb up upon that cross and wash sins away because your blood is an unclean thing in the sight of God apart from Jesus Christ. Now the first mention of blood in the first three Gospels in Matthew 9.20, Mark 5.25, and Luke 8.43 is that woman with a flow of blood. She was considered to be unclean. A woman on her menstrual period would be considered to be unclean. But this woman had a constant flow of blood, so she was rendered unclean for all of all of these years and the idea here is it it, it has to tie in with the reproduction process and what does unclean produce unclean is only going to produce something else that is unclean and that's why Jesus Christ came came about the same but different it's that virgin birth that was spoken of by the scriptures and that why so this uncleanliness would be broken this blood of mankind that could never do anything for mankind but render him dead in the sight of God, that he would be washed clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first mention of blood in John is in John chapter 1, verse 13, speaking of those who were born again. And it says, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so what John is showing us here is the reality that Jesus died upon that cross. Jesus died in order to deal with your sins, in order to purify you, in order to wash you clean. So he's written these things so that you would believe. It's the only way to receive of these things. It's the only way to know that he has taken my sin, your sin, upon him is through belief and having faith in that. John has presented the evidence. He's presented the proof talked about the crucifixion but what he focuses on really here is it's finished that at that point jesus died the jews believed that he was dead the romans believed that he was dead do you believe that he died do you believe that he died your 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 belief should go so much deeper that he died and his death reverberates throughout all of the ages that for whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life Because the blood of man, well, my blood's able to keep me alive for 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it's going to be. But Jesus Christ's blood has been given life to all of humanity throughout all of history and it will throughout all of eternity. And because of that, we worship him. Because of that, we rejoice in what he has done. Father, we just thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done and Lord, you have let us know the truth and the reality of it. And because of that, Father, we just rejoice. We rejoice in that death. Again, it's not that death that occurred from a a broken heart, but from a living spirit that desired to see all of mankind come into that relationship with him. And so, Father, I just pray that we would be a people who would sing this out, even in this last worship song, understanding the reality of all that you have done. And so, Father, I just lift up those who have come out tonight that you would go before them. I pray, Father, for all who have listened to this study that we would see the reality and the details of the cross and that we would understand, Lord, that these things were given to us so that our belief would be strengthened and especially during these difficult days that we would walk boldly in the knowledge of our salvation but also, Lord, in the knowledge of how you desire to use us into the lives of others. And so, Father, we just thank you and we praise you this evening that you would be glorified through our humble lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We all stand, please? Well, this Sunday, we're going to be back to our usual routine. Sunday morning, we're going to be continuing on in chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews. Sunday night, we're going to be looking at the way of the Master once again. We're going to be having a leadership meeting this Sunday evening at 4.30. Anybody involved in leadership? It would be great if you could be there. Other than that, God bless you. Oh, keep Vacation Bible School up in prayer, but specifically the 4th of July float. Every year we participate in the City of Ontario parade, and so we're working on that, and so just pray that the thing that we produce would be that which would minister to the people of our city. God bless you guys.